Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening our eyes to a new view of life. I'm glad you joined us today. You know, some smart person once said, people who know how to connect with others win with others. And sometimes it helps to have a reason to connect, like sharing a podcast. When I share a podcast, which I do often, I'll say something like, I just listened to this and thought I'd share it with you. I thought you could use a little inspiration today. And you know, sharing a podcast is simple. You find that three-dot menu on your screen, select share episode, and text it to your friend. It's simple, it works, and it's a way to help others. So, as you listen, think about who you can share this episode with and make a better connection today. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about the one word that can change your life. Now, there are a few jobs in sports that carry the attention of the fans and public as much as the quarterback position in professional football. And after his retirement last year, and because of his popularity, Tom Brady signed a $375 million contract with Fox Sports to do football broadcast commentary. That is popularity. And it's hard to rank the quarterbacks in history as to who was the best. Passing yards is one yardstick, and Tom Brady has the most passing yards with Drew Brees and Peyton Manning second and third. Passing touchdowns may be another. Again, Brady, Brees, and Manning hold the record. And in terms of rushing touchdowns, Cam Newton and Steve Young hold the record. And of all those quarterbacks, Steve Young is one of my favorites. During his career, he ran for over 4,000 yards and scored 43 rushing touchdowns. He's also one of the most accurate passers in league history and was named All-Pro three times. But what's most remarkable about Steve is what he learned and shared along the way. In his autobiography, Steve tells the story of finding his way, his peace, in the ever-competitive NFL. He was highly recruited out of college and went to play in the newly formed USFL, then to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFL, then to the San Francisco 49ers. The problem was the 49ers already had a great quarterback named Joe Montana. He was exceptional. And for three years, Steve sat on the sidelines as Montana's backup, where Steve's anxiety worked at him. Finally, in the 1991 season, Montana hurt his elbow, So Steve Young stepped into the starting quarterback position with a huge amount of pressure on his shoulders to win. But the team got off to a less-than-average 4-4 and start. He was stressed, underperforming, and being compared to Montana's legacy of winning. And despite his opportunity, he was stuck in a negative rut of gloom. So he had taken a brief break and was on an airplane headed back to San Francisco. And it just so happened on the flight that he was seated next to Dr. Stephen Covey. Steve said on that flight, on that day, that conversation changed his life. And here's what Steve said. We struck up a conversation and it immediately turned to football. I started telling Stephen Covey about my situation. For four years, I had played behind the greatest quarterback in NFL history. He got hurt and I got a chance to start. In my eight starts, we went four and four. And I would have to remind guys that Joe had actually lost a game before. He threw incompletions, even an interception or two. 
but it was no use saying this stuff. The idea of Joe leading a team to four and four was inconceivable. The bottom line was that the comparisons to Joe were driving me crazy. Nothing I did was good enough. Joe had won four Super Bowls. I was in an impossible situation. I felt like a whiner venting all of this, but Covey was patient. Yeah, I said, that's part of the problem. I understand, he said, but you get to ask Montana questions, right? In other words, he'll mentor you. Well, yeah, I said, and the 49ers are one of the better organizations in football, the gold standard, I said. Now, Joe's still on the team, he asked, and Mike Holmgren, your coach, is one of the best, right? Best quarterback coach in the league, I said. He paused for a moment and said, I think you may be looking at your situation the wrong way. What do you mean, I asked. He explained that he traveled the world over in search of organizations that created opportunities for employees to become the best. I got to be honest with you, Steve, he said. I don't know that I've seen an organization better than this one. I was intrigued. If I understand your situation with the 49ers correctly, he continued, you are in the one place in the NFL where you can find out just how good you are. Now he really had my attention, Young said. And few people in the world get to find out how good they are at one thing. They're stuck somewhere in life where they don't have the opportunity or platform to find out. So here's the question, he said. Do you want to find out how good you can be? Yeah, I do, replied Young. I mean, some people are just afraid to find out, Covey said. No, I absolutely want to find out. Then go do it, he said. Good luck. Steve Young said prior to that, he'd been hunting for that one thing, that one word that would change his perspective and empower him with what he needed to drive and thrive in his role. After that discussion, he said he found it. What was the one word? Grateful. Grateful for the opportunity, grateful for his team, and grateful for the challenge. You know, it's interesting that he distilled his perspective down to one word. He said that his favorite movie at the time was City Slickers, and he watched it often. In that movie, the character Curly, an old cowboy, using, shall we say, somewhat colorful language, explains to Billy Crystal's character, Mitch, that only one thing matters in life. And Mitch says, that's great, but what's the one thing? And Curly responds, that's what you got to figure out. Well, having found his one thing, Steve Young decided to be grateful for where he was and the opportunity he had. And it was then that things started to change for him. And he would go on to win a Super Bowl, be named MVP of that Super Bowl, and he now works as an analyst on ESPN. What about you? Are you like Steve, despite the opportunities in your life? Do you get stuck in a rut of thinking about what is wrong or what you wish was right? Maybe you have a business that can help you find financial freedom or a job where you can really make a difference, but you can't seem to rise beyond the struggles in front of you. Whatever your situation may be, it's easy in life to get a bit off track. I know it happens to me from time to time. I have an amazing job with really good people, but I get to focusing on the tough things or the things I don't like, and that tends to cloud my vision of what I'm really trying to do. And from time to time, 
We all need to find that one word or one thing that can help us to open our eyes to who we can really be. So you may be asking, can a single word change your life for the better? And the answer is absolutely yes. I know because a single word has changed my life. When I was younger, a friend of mine told me he took a single word and would focus on that word for a year. Think, work, learn all he could about that word. And he took his list of words from Scripture, in particular, Scripture found in Peter, which says that we are given great promises that we can assume the same qualities of God, namely diligence, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. And he would study everything about one of these words for a year and try to make that quality his, then move on to the next word in the following year. And it was obvious by the kind of man he was that he had internalized many of the qualities of these words. Likewise, at one point in his life, Benjamin Franklin set out to practice and acquire moral virtues. He wrote, It was about this time that I conceived the bold and arduous project of arriving at moral perfection. As I knew or thought I knew what was right and wrong, I didn't see why I might not always do the one and avoid the other. And Franklin made a list of 12 words, areas that needed improvement, and the 27-year-old Philadelphian asked a friend to look over his list. And Franklin's list included temperance, silence, order, resolution, frugality, industry, sincerity, justice, moderation, cleanliness, tranquility, and chastity. His friend would later tell Franklin something that awakened the need for a 13th virtue. Franklin wrote in his autobiography that his friend kindly informed me that I was generally thought proud, that my pride showed itself frequently in conversation, and humility became the 13th virtue in his project. And that one word changed Franklin's life and made him a truly better man. The practice of focusing on one word or one thing isn't new, but new or not, it has power to bring a fresh sense of feeling and purpose to your life. In fact, after reading Franklin's biography, I adopted humility as my word for a while. And while I'm not expert at this yet, just copying Franklin's moves and keeping my focus there for a while changed me. It changed my life. Over time, I lost some of the need to hold myself up or garner attention, and it was the one word I held as my focus that helped me get there. You know, one author wrote, I've begun the new year by picking a word to inspire and guide me over the next 12 months, a practice I first learned from the book, One Word That Will Change Your Life. Most people who make resolutions or set goals soon forget them in the crush of life and work. A single word, on the other hand, is much, much easier to remember. That's certainly how it worked for me. Every word I've picked has stayed with me like a beacon and helped me to make better decisions all year long. That same author said, the first time I did this exercise, I was feeling down and thought my word for the year might be joy or something like that. At the time, my husband and I recently located from the East Coast to the West Coast. We didn't know many people, and I had a heavy work schedule. And the result was that I didn't have much of a social life or many friends in our new town. 
And what I realized is that what I needed were connections. So my word for the year became connect. It worked. A year later, I had made a lot of friends and had become part of the local community. So given all of that, if you were to think about what one word may be right for you in your life right now, what might your one word be? Now, to arrive at that word, it might be helpful to ask yourself, what needs to be done in me and through me right now in my life or on my team or in my family? In other words, what does God want me to do to become or learn right now in this season of my life? Because if you'll spend some time asking yourself this question, what your one word is, then read and listen and pray and listen again, I'm certain that you will soon be inspired with what your word should be. How do I know this? Again, I've done it. So try on a word or two. It's trying on just like you try on a shirt before you buy it to see if it fits. And once a word comes to mind, look at its definition. Imagine what would happen if you were to make that word your own and decide if you want to spend time becoming more of that one word. Perhaps your word is love or joy or patience, kindness, rest, positivity, encouraging, helpful, loyal, committed, adventurous, curious, or humble. Maybe your word is health, train, lose, gain, or strong. I'm certain as you go about it, your one word will come to you. Now, the power of this exercise is that once you find your one word, it can ignite in you a sense of purpose and energy that will amaze you. The word may help you stick to the right business activities so you can reach your goals or be a better parent or get closer to God. Perhaps your word is prayer, which may help you spend more time there. Perhaps your word is partner and you focus more on your relationships. Whatever it is, you can see how a word can change your life. With your one word identified, write it down. Put your word in a prominent place. Keep it on your mind. Put it on your phone screen. Write what you learn about that word. Make your morning study about that word for the next few weeks and read all you can about that word. Then remember, this one word is going to be with you for a while. This isn't a resolution that you focus on for a few weeks, but rather a quality you plan to assimilate to become part of you. So again, if you had to choose, what would be your one word? You know, Gary Keller once asked the question, what one thing could you do that by doing it well, everything else would be easier or unnecessary? And after reading this quote, I adopted this saying, and I've used it over and over again in my life and in coaching and in teaching. It has extreme power. And the answer to Keller's question is the same as the one word that we've been talking about. What one thing could you do that by doing it well, everything else would be easier or unnecessary? In my marriage, this is an easy answer for me. My wife has a love language, and it is verbal affirmation and connection. And if I would connect and compliment regularly, she would move heaven and earth for me. It would solve all the frustrations she has with me and help her look well beyond my weaknesses. I know the one thing, and knowing the one thing has changed our relationship. 
What knowing your one word will do for you is keep the main thing, the main thing on your journey in life. So in your business right now, what word do you need to adopt? Perhaps consistency, connecting, finding, whatever it is, it has the power to lift your business. For example, Wharton psychologist Adam Grant says that connecting with people can have huge impacts on you and your business. In one recent experiment, Grant said, an organization tried randomly matching two salespeople for a week at lunch. The lunches had no particular agenda. They did it for a month, he said. Four months later, the average salesperson in the experiment has 24% higher sales revenue. Why? He says, when you have no agenda with a peer, you learn from each other. You share tacit knowledge. And these people ended up feeling much more connected to each other because now they've had a lunch buddy that they didn't have before. And it turned out they had some shared goals and common interests and were able to help each other regularly. The same may go for you right now. Perhaps connecting is your word. And by focusing on connecting with people on your contact list, you can further your business and the way you think and how much energy you have as you go about your job. Do you know who is the most decorated U.S. skier in women's alpine downhill skiing history? Well, before I answer the question, you have to understand how incredibly difficult downhill skiing really is. Unlike the other alpine skiing events, downhill is an all-out sprint for up to three miles downhill, during which skiers often ski 80 miles an hour. If you've watched a downhill race, it seems like sheer madness traveling that fast on treacherous mountain slopes. Skiers have broken bones, torn apart knees, and even died when crashing during a downhill race. It takes tremendous strength, skill, and courage. And you know who's the most decorated women's downhill skier? Michaela Schifrin. She's a two-time Olympic gold medalist. She's a five-time World Cup champion and the youngest slalom champion in Olympic alpine skiing history at 18 years old. In 2018, Michaela won eight of nine World Cup races, and she had similar success in 2019. However, in 2020, Schifrin had inconsistent performances in the technical races in the first half of the season. And on February 2nd, her father unexpectedly died in an accident, causing her to take an indefinite break from the World Cup tour and ruining her chances of a fourth consecutive title. In 2021, she lost the slalom title for the first time. At the 2022 Olympics, she was favored to win gold in at least three of the six events. However, she uncharacteristically didn't finish the giant slalom and slalom races, and she finished ninth in the Super G. Most incredibly, she didn't medal in the downhill. Something was happening to her. Usually, she could inspect a downhill course and easily remember the turns, the slopes, and the hazards on the hill. And she uses these images from her inspection to visualize her downhill run. But for some reason, with increasing anxiety and even depression, she couldn't even remember her inspection runs. And given her father's death, injuries, and not winning, she began to wonder, why was racing ever important to me to begin with? Well, at the depth of her struggles, Schifrin considered retiring from ski racing altogether and going to medical school, like her dad, or becoming a marine biologist. 
And you know, I don't think what happened to Schifrin is all that unusual. We all have times when we wonder if we can do what we've been doing or have set out to do. Perhaps some of you have started your own business and find yourself in a weird situation of wondering why your business isn't thriving like it used to or why you can't seem to do what used to come easy. Well, for Michaela, in the midst of this kind of struggle and wondering, despite being a world champion several times over, Schifrin found two things that helped her tremendously. The first was a counselor who helped her become aware of how her brain and emotions worked. And the second was an interview done on a chairlift with downhill skier Sophia Goja. In that interview, Goja talked about how much she hates mediocrity and the joy she finds in making each effort extraordinary. And for whatever reason, this message hit home with Schifrin. Her one word was really two words, not today. Meaning, I will not be mediocre today. She didn't have to carry what would happen tomorrow or if she'd be number one in the world that season, she just wasn't going to be mediocre today. Today was all she cared about and she could control her performance today. And she did. In her next race, she made the podium. She said, I finally just enjoyed skiing for the day. At the last World Cup, Schifrin earned her 138th podium in her 249th start, meaning she has finished in the top three positions in 55% of her World Cup races. And she has become the winningest woman skier of all time. Here's the point. Sometimes we get to thinking that our best days are behind us, that we can't do what we set out to do, that we can't overcome. But when you find your one thing, your one word or two words in her case, it has a magnetic-like pull to help you get your mind straight and your spirit lit to who you can be. And I know it may sound strange, but find your one word and you'll see what I mean. Roz Chas, the celebrated New York cartoonist, said that at this point in her celebrated career, still about 90% of her cartoons are rejected. And she said earlier in her career, it was much worse. Bob Mankoff, the cartoon editor for The New Yorker, verified that Roz was right. He said that he gets 500 cartoon submissions a week and the magazine uses only 17. That's a rejection rate of over 96%. As a child, Mankoff liked to draw. He went to LaGuardia High School of Music and Art, and you know this school if you ever saw the movie Fame. And after high school, he decided he wanted to be a cartoonist. So he created 27 cartoons. They were all rejected. He thought, how could anyone create more than 27? So with that rejection, he decided to become a psychologist and he went to graduate school. As he finished his doctorate, he realized that he really didn't want to be a psychologist. And he landed on the one word that truly was the only way to describe himself, funny. So he committed himself to his true end goal, to be a cartoonist and be funny. Now you have to understand the New Yorker is to cartooning what the Yankees are to baseball. And he knew if he could make that team, he would be the best. So he started to draw in earnest. He got a few contract pieces placed in a few magazines, but his rejection rate was still very high. 
Mankoff submitted more than 500 cartoons to the New Yorker over two years. All were rejected. Finally, he went to the New York Public Library and looked up cartoons in the New Yorker magazine back to 1925, and he really studied them. He thought something might be wrong with his cartoons, like he thought maybe the other cartoonists were better draftsmen than he. Not true. Some of the cartoons used worse drawing techniques. He thought maybe his captions were too long or short, but that wasn't the case. He thought maybe the others were more funny. Not so. Some were more funny and a little less. But there was something that the published cartoons had that his did not. They made the reader think. Each cartoon had the right amount of wrong. The second was this. Each cartoonist had their own unique style. So Bob adjusted his approach. He used his understanding of psychology to make people think, and he adopted his own style and used a drawing method called stippling, where you draw using dots, and the frequency of dots determines the shading of the area of the cartoon. And the next year, Bob sold a remarkable 13 cartoons to the New Yorker, then 25 the following year, then 27 the following. And finally, he became a contract cartoonist at the New Yorker. Now he is the editor at the New Yorker. The point is this. It was the one word, funny, and the realization that he was truly funny that turned Bob to do what was necessary to learn, to discover, and to grow and become one of the greatest cartoonists of our day. And you and I can find the same when we find our one word. You know, not too many years ago, I drove past Bethesda, a hospital near where I lived. This word Bethesda has stayed with me. And as I learned more about this one word, it started to have an impact on me. Bethesda was actually the pool of Bethesda, a place spoken about in Scripture. In Jesus' day, tradition had it that when the waters of the pool of Bethesda moved or were stirred, it was believed to be done by an angel, and the first person immersed in the water after that would be healed. And as a result, the pool attracted the blind, the halt, the withered, and others who were sick or had disabilities in the hope that they could be healed. And a certain man was there who had been inflicted with an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, he asked him, would you be made whole? And the impotent man answered him, sir, I have no man when the water is stirred to put me in the pool. And when I struggle to get into the water, someone steps in before me. Now, I find it interesting that the infirm man had a great excuse to continue to hold on to his infirmity and used a very valid but probably oft-repeated excuse to stay in his current condition. And we're sometimes like this man. We know we can find relief or do what we've been unable to do or even find a miracle or two in our life, but we hold on to the excuses we've been telling ourselves and stay unable to rise. Oh, market conditions have changed. Things don't work like they used to. I can't find help. I'm too old. Or whatever excuses you and I hold on to from time to time. I also find it interesting that the Lord looked past those excuses. And the scripture says, Jesus said unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. Rise, walk. Single words with tremendous power.
I find myself at times like this man at Bethesda, needing help and strength and peace. And there are words, words in scripture and in good books and from wise people that if I gave attention to those words, would also help me to rise and walk in the direction I'm supposed to walk. But those words must become yours. So use these next few days and weeks to find your one word that can help you rise. And as we end today, remember, you can rise and walk in ways that you may not think you can. We're all a bit infirm and need God's and each other's help to step away from our excuses. You can, and it's time for you to walk. Remember, Steve Young's word, gratitude, and the power of your one word to change your direction in life. Like Bob Mankoff, your realization of who you are and what you may need to focus on for a while in order to reach your goals will come to you. Like Michaela, your best days are not behind you, but in front of you, if you can lock on to what you need to learn in this season of your life. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become. We'll be right back. 